Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Craig Valenzuela, Managing Director for Global Business Development, and each week we invite listeners to take 10 and get the latest economic insights from our in-house economics team. And good morning to our Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter. Good morning, Craig. I thought you were going to ask me a question about the uh, AFL Grand Final. I'm a bit disappointed. Well, yeah, it's, it is finals series, and I have got a, a bad pun later on to ask you about there, Matthew. But before oh, we dive into the podcast, <laughs> I did want to touch on some economic data. The Australian Labor Force data was released yesterday, and it showed total employment fell, Matthew, surprisingly, by 146,300 in August. So as the number one Bloomberg employment forecaster, should we have expected this? Well, uh it wasn't expected by us, I'm afraid, Craig. We had anticipated a drop of 70,000 jobs, which was slightly less than the consensus forecast drop of 80,000. But nonetheless, we, we got a very large drop, almost uh, or more than double of what we'd expected. We knew that there was going to be a, a drop in uh, employment because of the lockdowns, and that'll probably continue in the next month's data. But I really think the bigger news is what's happening to the unemployment rate, which actually fell to 4.5% which was lower than consensus estimates of 5% and lower than even the most optimistic forecast to that extent. And the question is, Craig, really, how do you reconcile such a large drop in employment with a fall rather than a rise in the unemployment rate? And the answer to that is what we're seeing is a sharp drop in the participation rate, and that's lowering the level of uh, labour force growth quicker then the uh, drop in jobs is lowering the level of employment. So the unemployment rate actually goes down. But really, this low unemployment rate is really, in my opinion, a head fake and, and it will climb once lockdowns are lifted and people are able to look for work and, and in fact, be available for work as uh, the economies reopen. The labour market data, though, will leave no doubt that the RBA will be feeling justified in extending their QE program to February. And also, perhaps more importantly, in the emphasis that uh, Governor Lowe has had of late in signalling that the market pricing for a first cash rate hike, uh, which is well before 2024 liftoff um, signalled by the RBA, is way off the mark. Now, Matthew, the big news earlier this week before the Australia-UK-US alliance uh, hit the headlines was that the OECD released its Economic Survey of Australia and... One of its key recommendations is the need for an independent review of the RBA. Were you surprised the OECD chose to target Australia, given our very own Matthias Cormann was heavily supported by the government to get into the top OECD role? <laughs> well, I don't know if Matthias would be micromanaging individual country reviews yet, uh, even Australia's. But then again, Craig, I might be naive on the internal politics of the OECD. But look, the last review of the RBA was in 1981 during the Campbell inquiry. So that's a long time between drinks for reviews. Now, the bank has come under pressure uh, of late for missing its inflation target since 2015. And that was acknowledged in the OECD report. And really the response to that criticism by Governor Lowe and his deputies, in my opinion, has been very defensive. Look, I think it's really a tactical error that Governor Lowe should be sort of so resistant to a review. The issue I think that the governor is concerned about is one of independence of RBA's monetary policy formulation from government interference. And 
Given the comments by uh, federal Labor ministers such as Jim Chalmers and Assistant Treasurer Andrew Lee, it doesn't surprise me that Governor Lowe is feeling a bit nervous about the RBA independence, particularly if a Labor government was to be in power. But look, Governor Lowe can use the OECD recommendations to steer a view towards the reinforcement of the independence principle, actually, while using the review to affect the organisational changes that are needed as well. Yeah, Matthew, as you noted there, the Labor Party's Andrew Lee, who's on the Economics Committee alongside Tim Wilson, was quite critical of the RBA. He's a a former professor of finance from ANU, and he sort of targeted the insular culture of the RBA and the lack of economists on the RBA board. You're listening to Craig Valenzuela and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where our chief economist, Dr. Matthew Peter, is taking us through the latest economic analysis that's shaping your investment outlook. So, Matthew, what specifically did the OECD see as needing reviewing? As with most central banks, Craig, the RBA inflation target undershoot was the trigger for the OECD review. And with the onset of COVID pushing the RBA into new territory in terms of policy settings, you know, uh, zero cash rates, uh, yield curve control and QE, it was the OECD's opinion that now was the time to take stock of developments and have a wide-ranging review of the RBA. Now, their recommendations are very wide-ranging of the things to review. Uh, the OECD report cited the RBA's monetary policy mandate, its policy tools, its method of communication, which has a bit of a been a bit of a sore point for me, Craig, uh, its hiring process, and its internal structures. Yeah, so Matthew, you commented then around the timing. The timing of all this is feeling very interesting as we battle away with the COVID variant and, in Australia at least, showing some signs of starting to struggle to get to that 80% vaccination level. So should other nations expect the OECD to start proposing similar reviews of their central banks? Well, interestingly, the uh, OECD cites the practice of other central banks across the globe as a reason for setting up an RBA review. So if we look across the globe, Craig, central banks of the US, Europe, Japan, Canada and New Zealand, amongst others, have all undertaken reviews within the last four years. And their reviews are also on a regular basis, which is another recommendation of the OECD. So I think it's more a case of us catching up with the rest of the world. Yeah, four years versus 40 years, Matthew. The government was also encouraged by the OECD to make some changes themselves, including reducing their reliance on income tax. I always thought it was stamp duty as a homeowner, (laughs) overhauling the GST, reducing the tax concessions and having a clear path to reducing federal debt as we exit the pandemic. So, Matthew, does the cost of the Houston birthday cake need an overhaul? (laughs) <laughs> the old birthday cake of Hewson, the poor old Dr. Hewson blew the unlosable election, didn't he, with GST proposal, a bit ahead of his time. But anyway, look, certainly to homeowners, it might seem like stamp duty supports the government, and it actually does for New South Wales and Victorian state governments. But really, it's income tax is the largest tax take in Australia. And what the OECD is pointing out is that as our population ages and as the growth rate falls, under the current tax structure, a greater burden is placed on the income tax take, which itself is falling on a shrinking share of the population. Now, higher rates of income tax have the uh, negative effect of discouraging the work effort. And it also results in intergenerational inequity as they shift that tax burden towards the young to pay for the needs of the old. An alternative to income tax is to widen 
the GST tax base and to increase the GST tax rate because it's the really it's the alternative in terms of the uh, potential revenue raising to income tax is really the GST. Now, such a, a shift in uh, mix, tax mix, would alleviate pressure on income tax rates and it would also spread the burden of raising taxes more evenly across generations of the population. However, GST is also a regressive tax in that the poor pay a proportionally higher share of their income towards a goods and services tax than they do uh, in an income tax. So safety nets for low income earners are also required in any shift in the mix from an income tax to uh, a GST. You're listening to Craig Valenzuela and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where our chief economist, Dr. Matthew Peter, is taking us through the current economic analysis that's shaping your investment outlook. Matthew, I referred earlier to the criticisms that Labor's Dr. Andrew Lee had with the RBA. Back in 2019, Dr. Lee and the coalition's Tim Wilson were quite scathing of the RBA. In Lee's case, he criticised that groupthink mentality and a board ill-equipped to challenge the RBA. So how does the RBA compare on a global scale in its decision-making and its oversight? Well, yes, Craig, in my view, the role of the board of the RBA is ripe for review. Now, currently, the board has a governance role, such as uh, any board on any commercial entity, and that plays the role of overseeing the bank's operations, such as remuneration uh, and audit committees, etc. The board also has a role currently in determining monetary policy. Now, the problem with that dual role of the board is that the board ends up composed of a large number of non-economic specialists. That weakens the extent to which the board can challenge the RBA in terms of monetary policy. To make an analogy, perhaps, Craig, with superannuation funds, when you look at a super fund, they have boards that oversees the governance of the fund. But they also typically have an investment committee that will oversee the superannuation fund's investment strategy. But the investment committee and the boards of super funds are not the same. The investment committee will typically be chaired by a board member, but will also include independent specialists drawn from outside the board. This is a closer setup of the major central banks outside of Australia, such as the US Fed and the Bank of England. Matthew, we can't talk about the RBA without getting into house prices. And it's a bit of a shameless one because our second highest ever rating podcast was around Australian house prices. So let's get into it. RBA Governor Lowe shared his thoughts on a soaring Aussie house prices this week at his annual address to the Unica Foundation. He said as a citizen, he would like to see it addressed, but as a central banker, the RBA can't do anything about it. Is this a classic sidestep from the RBA Governor, Matthew? Craig, I believe this is a classic example where a review of the RBA may be helpful. Like, in my opinion, the RBA has always had difficulty communicating its policies, particularly in respect to the housing market and also the Australian dollar. They don't wish to convey that these are targets of policy. The targets they wish to convey are strictly inflation and employment with that nebulous well-being of the community thrown in occasionally. But clearly, Craig, house prices and the Australian dollar, for that matter, are key factors impacting the economy and hence inflation and employment. And their communication on how they factor those things in, house prices and Aussie dollar, into their decision making is at best opaque and at worst confusing to the market. At the moment, the RBA can't raise interest rates. That's the case. Now, Governor Lowe is blaming the lack of land released by state and local governments, especially in Sydney, for the high house prices. 
But whilst that might be a long-term pressure, in the current environment, that's somewhat misleading. You know, to claim that the current house price spike is not being clearly driven by uh, low interest rates, I think, is not really giving us the right picture. So what's going to happen, uh, I suppose, is the question, because I don't see Governor Lowe changing that communication strategy. Well, what's going to happen is in a very non-transparent way, the bank and APRA will be monitoring bank lending and credit growth, particularly um, credit growth to investors. And we're likely to see APRA initiate macroprudential controls again if house price growth fails to abate substantially before the end of the year. And if I'm right, this form of communication will catch out by surprise many people, including many young new homeowners who will actually, as a result, see value destroyed, having entered the market at its top. And certainly the one cohort that the government's always trying to help out. Matthew, thank you for your comments today. After a sustained period pre-COVID of labour force participation rates skyrocketing, it's now dropping like a stone. But is it the head fake that Matthew predicts? And... Have Ben Westmore and the OECD got it right in calling for a much-needed review of the RBA and its decision-making process? Can Governor Lowe embrace this review, however, to reinforce the RBA's independence? I'm Craig Valenzuela for QIC's QPod. Thank you for listening and have a super weekend.